strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Stu Friedman. Stu is an organizational psychologist, professor of management practice emeritus at the Wharton School, and co-author with Alyssa Westring of the newly released book, Parents Who Lead, as well as their original bestseller on leadership development, Total Leadership. Stu, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thanks, Carol. It's great to be here. And it's great to have you. And I'm so excited about talking to you about a whole range of topics. But first, uh, before we go any further, our audience might have noticed that I said emeritus when I introduced you. And last month, you made a big announcement that you were retiring from full-time teaching after 35 years at Wharton. And I wanted to know, how does that feel? And how did you know it was time to make that change? Well, it feels wonderful. you know, it's, it's interesting. It's starting last summer, I was no longer teaching in the full-time MBA program or our undergrads, but I, I am still teaching in our executive MBA program. So that's all the teaching I'm doing now, both in our uh, Philadelphia campus as well as in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So that is now my portfolio for teaching. But with this book project, uh, teaching, my public speaking, uh, this last fall, uh, turned out to have been one of the busiest times of my entire life. So, you know, as I tell my kids, I'm not retired. I'm just tired (laughs) because uh, things are really picking up. So it it feels good because um, I love teaching the executive MBAs. They are more advanced in their lives and their careers. And the material that that I work with them on is really well suited to that life stage. And so they are uh, able to apply it and really make a difference in their lives immediately. And so that's a very exciting aspect of this uh, focus on my teaching now. Yes, well, that makes a lot of sense. And also in the context of, of what we're gonna be talking about, one of which is your new book, Parents Who Lead, The Leadership Approach You Need to Parent with Purpose, Fuel Your Career and Create a Richer Life. So it feels to me like this is exactly the right time for this book, and it's especially relevant for our audience members who are returning to work as a parent of of children of any age, regardless of whether their career break was specifically for childcare reasons. So can you give us a little history about what led to you writing this book? Well, I started the Work-Life Integration Project at the Wharton School in 1991, which is the same year I started our leadership program. So I was working in both of these streams of activity uh, at the same time. Then in the late 90s, I was asked to uh, take the reins of leadership development at Ford Motor Company for a few years, which I did. I took a leave from Wharton and went to be a senior executive at Ford. Uh, And one of the things that we did there was to marry what we'd been learning about how people learn to lead with how they learn to create a greater sense of harmony or integration among the different parts of their lives. And we we did that and it was a great success. Uh, And when I got back from Wharton, uh, from Ford to uh, my teaching responsibilities and research at Wharton, I began to craft a course on leadership from the point of view of the whole person, which uh, really took off after a couple of iterations in which there were many failures, 
uh, and a lot of learning. And that became the, the basis of the book Total Leadership, which I published in 2008, which is about individuals growing as leaders in all parts of their lives, their work, their home, their community, mm-hmm. and their selves. And I was teaching that at, for all of our uh, different levels of students at Wharton, as well as client companies were getting interested in hearing about this model because it was a way of approaching how to create positive change in your world as a leader in a way that worked for all the different parts of your life, a real break from the work-life balance kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I was hearing from the very start, and then it just continued, was uh, from students who would say to me or clients who would say to me, you know, I'd really like to do this with my spouse, my partner. Is there a way for us to fig- you know, to do that? And I would say, sure, just, you know, share the, the exercises in, in, the, uh, in the program that ask you to focus on what it means for you to be real, to be whole, to be innovative, practical, doable exercises that help you to en- enact those principles and just share it with your partner, share it with whomever you like. Uh, but that was not enough because they wanted a kind of systematic approach. And uh, there were many people who were focusing on the issue of how to become a better parent as they were feeling stretched and stretched and really anxious about what it meant for them to be the kind of parent that they wanted to be. So that and some other factors led to my, uh, well, being asked by the Harvard Business review press to do another book, but this time focused entirely on parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I enlisted a, my partner, Alyssa Westring, who is herself uh, a millennial mom with two kids under 10. My kids are all in their 20s and 30s. I got grandchildren. Uh, it's We're at different life stages, but we bring a different perspective. What we did was create a, a, a version of the total leadership model that was designed for, specifically for uh, parents. And we went into the lab, we ran that for a while and uh, with a bunch of, uh, uh, of of working parents and what we've written up in Parents Who Lead is that program, which any working parent can use. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting for me to hear, first of all, that you had that time at Ford because not that many people in academia uh, get the chance to step out of that role and become a practitioner of what they they do a lot of thinking and writing about in at an actual employer. So so that in yeah. itself is a very very unique experience and perspective to and and really laboratory almost to um, be be testing a lot of what you were working on. Uh, up to that point and now of course beyond so um you know i realize we're really we are not academics and we are practitioners and we're really Mm -hmm. careful to make that distinction between the two but you have really been both so so i i think that's 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 a super interesting perspective um and then this whole idea about um bringing the of total leadership and bringing the whole person to work uh, and and now um you know applying those principles and thinking about uh, what leadership means when you have children and and you have fam- you have families and and um, getting outside that work life balance concept and we'll talk about that in a minute 
Um, but mm -hmm. you know, our population are were people who took career breaks for a whole range of reasons, some related to caregiving and some not. But for those of us who did take career breaks for childcare reasons, and I, I actually did that myself, um, mm -hmm. it's you know a, a very different framework to look at how do you retain um, uh, how you maintain your career all the way through while you're bringing up children in all these different life stages. Some of us make decisions mm -hmm. to step out and then step back in. And that's a very different career path from people who don't leave. So very fascinating right. stuff. Um, do, so one of the things that you talk about is that the focus of the book is on improving the lives of the children who are impacted yeah. by the parents' life and work decisions and, and how those decisions are made. So can you give us a flavor for that? Like how, how what are some of these decisions? How do you recommend people? What are some of the frameworks to, to use for to make these decisions? And how do you look at it through the lens of the child who is ultimately impacted by those on the family side? Back in the 90s, when I uh, got really serious about this as a research stream, uh, following the inspiration of the, my first child's birth in the late 80s, uh, I in, was involved in a number of research projects where we looked at the impact of work on the whole life of people working, including on their kids. And I refer to children as the unseen stakeholders at work mm -hmm. because, you know, you don't see them when you're at work, usually uh, mm -hmm. for most of us. But they're, of course, affected by uh, what we bring home from work uh, in terms of our attitudes, values, how we feel about ourselves um, and in, in good and bad ways. Uh, and also the extent to which we're able to create um productive boundaries between work and our time and attention that we are able to devote to our families and other life pursuits that matter. And when you are physically present with people, particularly children who are most sensitive to these kinds of things, uh, but psychologically absent, your children know that. Mm -hmm. They feel it. It affects them. And, and indeed, we studied that systematically. And in a book that I published with Jeff Greenhouse in 2000 for Oxford University Press called Work and Family Allies Are Enemies, based on a study of almost 900 people, we found that children are indeed affected by their parents' uh, experiences at work, um, differently from mothers and fathers. Mm -hmm. So the extent to which uh, mothers, for example, had uh, autonomy or authority in the control of their time, the, their kids were better off in terms of their emotional health and development, for example. So we know that children are affected by their, their parents' work experiences in many ways. And what we're trying to do with parents who lead is to help parents to be able to do the kinds of things that leaders do know what matters most, know who matters most, be able to establish increasingly rich connections with the people who matter most to you through genuine dialogue with them about what you need from each other, how you serve each other, and then continually experimenting with new ways of living and working that allow you to align what you care about with what you do in ways that work for all the different parts of your life. We're trying to help parents to become leaders who enact those principles 
so as to improve their lives and indirectly the lives of their children who are suffering these days as parents are increasingly beleaguered, overwhelmed, torn in so many different directions and uh, feeling like they're not giving their kids what they need. And if you're stepping back, way back, and looking at this from the employer perspective, is the ultimate argument that if people follow these frameworks and making make these decisions and their families are functioning in a certain way, then they have higher productivity and, and they do better work at work? Or, I, I mean, do you sort of make that yes. link ultimately? Yes. Yes, and we have evidence of that. Uh, we So we've been studying the impact of work performance and performance in other parts of life, in your family, in your community, and for yourself personally, You know, your physical health, your emotional health, your spiritual growth and development. We've been looking at the impact of taking a systematic look at what matters, who matters, and then experimenting with ways of making things better in all the different parts of your life. And what we've found is that when you do that, especially in a in a learning environment where other people are doing the same kinds of things in their lives and you're coaching each other, where there's some accountability and peer pressure in a good way and support, that what people do is uh, make changes that actually improve their performance at work while they spend a little bit less attention on their work. And I know that sounds paradoxical, but it's what we consistently find and it's what we're finding with our working parents in the Parents Who Lead program. And that is you you become more conscious and intentional and deliberate about where you invest your attention. You're smarter about, about what you need to invest in because you're more connected to and better understanding and grasping the real needs and interests of the people around you at work and in the other parts of your life. And so you're better able to meet the, those needs and expectations in a less distracted, more focused, more energetic way. And you actually perform better at work while at the same time improving the quality of your relationships and the impact that you're having in the other parts of your life. Mm -hmm. It is possible. It's, it doesn't always work, but it's a lot more possible than most people think because most people think the default mode of, well, balance. I've got to trade one part of my life for success in the others. And we're finding that that is not as true as it as as it as the mythology surrounding it would suggest. Mm -hmm. So this helps companies by improving people's performance and productivity, and perhaps even more importantly, it helps them to attract and retain the best and brightest. Because people, especially young people, especially young people with kids, they want to be working in organizations that recognize and respect them as whole people and want them to succeed in all the different parts of their lives in ways that they define as important for them. And this is uh, a powerful way of actually demonstrating that for companies. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm just thinking through like the concept of, you know, bringing your, the whole person to work. What about bringing the whole person to home? Like, like, do you look at a, a sort of how transparent are you with your kids, especially as they get older and have um, greater capacity for understanding to say, you know, here's a really interesting issue that I'm dealing with at work and sort of bring them along with you into that conversation. So they, uh, they get a sense of what you do at work. They get, a, you know, even what for relaunchers, we say, you know, when you first go back to work and you're in that early transitional period where everyone's getting used to this new status of, 
the, the parent right. who has returned, we say, take a picture of, if you can't bring them in the office, bring them by the front of the office. Or, so they have this visual of when you're at work and then even bring them along on the job search before you get the job. Like say, you know, here's what this job says is required. What do you think about, what do you think are my top three strengths? Or, you know, sort of bring them on the conversation. Do you sort of look at the reverse of it? So like bringing the whole person to the home or is that not part of the, the discussion? Well, the, the idea isn't necessarily to merge the different parts of your life together. Sometimes that's a good idea, but sometimes it's really a bad idea. Uh, you know, one of the problems with take your kid to work day, for example, is that for many people, it ends up being your, your child is sitting over there uh, in some conference room on her video machine while you're getting other work done and, you know, she's in your office. So there she is, you know, your child is taken to your work, but it's actually harmful to the child for all kinds of reasons, which are probably obvious to your listeners. So the key here is to be conscious and deliberate about why you would be merging the different parts of your life. So it's not about bringing all of your family life into your work. It's about, it's about managing those boundaries and bringing in those parts that make sense. So in the example that you, you gave, which is a wonderful one, what, what we would counsel first and foremost is to be talking with your kids engaging with them in a, in a fresh and meaningful way from the perspective of what's important to them what do they need from you and of course that conversation is very different with a three-year-old than it is with a 14-year-old mm -hmm. but, but it begins as leaders always do with seeing the world through the eyes of the people who matter to you not just what you want but what they look to what they see when they look to you mm -hmm. That's what I call the leadership leap. You want to try to get inside their hearts, their minds, and to find out what they care about. So, you know, some kids are going to want to be interested in helping you with your job search or thinking about one organization versus another and how that's going to affect you as a, as a, as a, their working mom or dad. But others might not have that interest. They might care about other aspects of your work, mm -hmm. like your availability to them. Right. Um, and or just you know the meaning of the work that you do in terms of the impact that you're having on the world right. so i think it's important to engage your kids but from the but as a leader does which is to not impose what you expect of them necessarily as the starting point but really beginning with what do you care about mm -hmm. how is what my work is about and you know and what i do with my work and how it affects me how does that influence your life and how would you like it to? So that when you're then making choices about which organization to join or how to get your, you know, your schedule such that it's it's going to work for you and the other people who matter to you, you've got you've got their perspective in mind and you're engaging them as as partners really uh, in in figuring out how to organize things that work for them and for you. Right. You know, when we wrote back on the career track that came out in 2007, so a long time ago, I remember one of the interviews that we did, we, we had interviewed over 100, and at the time we were focused on stay-at-home moms, women who had returned after being home for childcare reasons. And one of them said, you know, right when I went back to work, the first thing I wanted to have happen when I got home was sort of a recounting of everyone's day. You know, I wanted my, my, each of my three kids to talk about what happened. I want to tell them what happened. And I realized, she said, for my youngest child, he didn't want any of that. He just wanted me 
to go in the backyard and throw the ball around with him. And I had to meet him where he was at that moment. So it feels like that's part of what you're talking about. Well, that's that's what we're trying to do here is bring core leadership principles that we know work mm-hmm. and, and bring them to parents so that they can uh, use the science of leadership uh, to to become better parents. And, you know, the first thing you got to do is identify what you care about. It starts with you. What matters most to you? And if you're, you know, you're in a partnership with uh, someone who's raising your kids with you, as you know, most people are, uh, whether or not they're married or you know, living together, you you've got other people who are in this in this game with you. Finding out what they care about, and then coming together to form some kind of picture, a vision like leaders do, of a collective future that you're both excited about based on what you both care about. It starts with that, but then you go after the people who matter most to you in the different parts of your life, including your children, and you engage in conversation. And a lot of what we write about in in the book is how to set up these conversations in a way that people will actually tell you what they need. Mm -hmm. And, And they'll be open to hearing what you need. And of course, everyone's different, but it's a leadership skill to be able to get other people around you to tell you how they actually see things and to be candid with you so that you can then engage them and generate their commitment to pursuing that vision of the future that is good for us. It's good for them and for you. So that that example is a great one that you gave, Carol, of, uh, you know, the mom comes home and says, hey, I want to hear all about your day. But you know, son doesn't really care about that. He just wants to spend some quality time with you. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, you adjust mm-hmm. and you make it work for them in a way that is going to be helpful to you as well. So, Stu, take us through a little more of um, some of the major concepts in the book. So you're saying you start by creating this vision um, and and thinking about what matters most to you and then, you know, having these conversations. And I'm sure you give guidance as you're referencing, depending on the age you know, the age level of the conversation will be very different of the kids. But after you establish that that vision and what's most important to you and you, you have the conversations with your kids, what are some of the other recommendations that you make? So the, the beginning, again, is, you know, your values. So there's a couple of exercises that help you to articulate your values personally in your life. And with your partner in parenting, whoever that person is, you, you know, that person does the same. And then you come together and, sh- and share those and talk about where there's differences, where there's commonality. And from that, you build a vision of the future that you both want to pursue together. Mm-hmm. That's where it begins. Then you engage in conversations and dialogues with people who matter most, starting with your kids in the ways that we've been describing here. And that, of course, is preceded by some tools and ideas that we we share about uh, what it means for you to be a parent and why you are a parent and how parenting fits in the context of your life at work, as well as in the community, as well as for yourself personally. So you put parenting in the context of your whole life and your partner's whole life, and then engage in conversations that help you to better understand what the people around you need from you and what you need from them, starting with your kids, but then with the people at work who matter to you, including bosses, subordinates, uh, you know, who's ever close to you, 
whoever matters to you in your career. Maybe it's people outside your current job. And then engaging in conversations with other people beyond work, as in your community, friends, neighbors, extended family, caregivers and teachers, whoever matters most to you in your village. And so going through this process of engaging in conversations with people who matter most to you about their needs and your needs, in the, in the context of your vision of the future you're trying to create, that's what leaders do. They picture a better world and they bring other people along with them to it. They, that's their striving to do. Well, then you, you have a lot of ideas about things that you can do to make things better for them and for you. And so the, the really fun part after all this diagnostic work and discovery and connection with people who matter most to you is to experiment. Mm -hmm. And we've identified six different kinds of experiments that working parents come up with. But what we found is that everybody comes up with their own ideas. But the key here, and there's, you know, there's tools and templates for how to do this described and illustrated from the lives of real working parents in the book uh, for how to come up with a game plan for something that you might try that's going to have a positive impact on your partnership, your relationship, on your kids, and then for each partner on your careers, on your community lives, and on your personal lives. So you sketch out a game plan and a scorecard for things that you can do that make things better for you and your world. So what do people do? Well, simple things. And you know, it doesn't have to be a completely uh, life-altering uh, shift in where you work or where you live. It, it's actually small wins are better than big ideas that never get done. Mm-hmm. So people do things like uh, <clears throat> letting go of, of certain things that they were holding on to that they don't need to hold on to anymore. Uh, perhaps, you know, using uh, outsourcing, you know, for food uh, services, for example, or delegating responsibilities to other people to free up time and attention or to really invest in the values that you share as a family. Uh, or perhaps it, it, it might be, engaging in some kind of fundraising activity that all of you have an interest in. Uh, so one couple uh, described in our, in our book, uh, the Yangs, they had a child with a rare genetic disorder. And, uh, the, the, and both parents are working. And the mom, you know, what they, dis, what, what they first discovered, you know, in their conversations with each other is that they wanted to make a difference in trying to help solve this riddle of this terrible disease and to help their their child and what they found through conversations especially the mom <clears throat> with her employer she'd never talked about her son's problem but she she decided to to share some aspects of what it was like mm -hmm. uh, with her employer and that changed radically her relationship with her boss um, and their their experiment their project Grace and Lee, who are, these are pseudonyms, uh, was you know to do a fundraiser. The her boss at, at, just you know got really involved in this project with her, and he began to see how her leadership of this initiative to do this fundraiser was something that uh, she, you know an aspect of her performance and who she was at work that he hadn't quite seen before, and it actually elevated in his eyes 
how he saw her performance and her potential. Mm. Her, her career was expanded by her having the courage to be vulnerable uh, with her boss about what she was trying to do to help her son and to help solve this, this uh, you know, the problem of this disease more generally. Mm-hmm. So that's just, that's one of my favorite examples from our research of how by focusing on what you care about most and investing in that with the people around you and engaging them, you can find benefits that you didn't even know about, but that you start to explore and pursue because you're rooting, you know, what you're doing with your time your precious time and attention in what you really care most about and what matters most to the people around mm-hmm. you. I'm really glad that that was going to be my next question to give some examples. Can you give us a, a second, totally unrelated example um, from another part of the book? Sure. Uh, so another, another example was uh, one family um wanted a you know the, the the parents decided they had a few kids they decided that they they wanted to get out more together in in their in their local community um and you know for for the father especially this was going to involve you know being more active in the community because he was uh a, a judge in in the local community he wanted to be out more and be seen more um, what this family ended up doing was what they called a pack walk, uh, like to be like a pack of wolves mm-hmm. together. <laughs> they were going to be walking together on a regular basis uh, in in their in their neighborhood, and that was the extent. That was the full extent of the of the experiment, and it had actually a, a really big effect on how they saw each other, how they saw their family unit in the community. And it made them feel better about how they were spending their time together. This was typically on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also extended their reach and connection in the community, which was a, a good thing for, for both of their careers, uh, as it turned out. So that's another kind of experiment that, that a family did together. But there's all different kinds of things that, that people do. The key is that uh, you know, the individuals themselves, the families themselves, they define what it is that's important. They discover what the people around them really need. And then they come up with ideas for innovation, which because they're intentional, mindful, purposeful about what it is that they're trying to change, they start to see themselves differently. Whether or not the the experiments succeed, they start to realize that they have more control over their lives than the, the reactive mode that people tend to be in. Just by taking a small step in a direction that they want to go and bringing others along with them, they feel less overwhelmed and more like leaders. They also realize that they have more support from the people around them than they thought they did. Because in these conversations, these stakeholder dialogues, as we call them, they realize that what other people want for them is to be successful, to be happy, to be strong, to be healthy, to be able to Mm -hmm. deliver uh, you know, what they have, uh, their special talents, their special passions to the world. So by trying a new way, um, you know, some, some projects involve, uh, experiments involve, uh, you know, building health together or just, uh, you know, practicing mm-hmm. their shared values, simply identifying what is it that we stand for as a family? What's important to us? 
that in itself can have a powerful impact on how the family feels as a unit. Um, <clears throat> volunteering at an animal shelter, uh, you know, doing family Zumba at the, at the gym. Mm -hmm. um, there's all kinds of opportunities to, to create changes. A lot of uh, families experiment with shutting off technology or playing family board mm -hmm. games. Uh, but the key here or is to ensure that what you're trying to do is something that's good, not just for your family, but also good for each of you, as well as for people who matter to you in other parts of your life, particularly at work. So another common experiment is getting out of the office at a particular hour and making, the, you know, for, for one of the parents, right? And, and everybody's involved in trying to make that happen because it's good for everybody. So one working dad who did that made a you know, very conscious and deliberate decision to, to make that happen at work. And he told people at work why he was doing it and how he thought it was going to improve his, his performance at work. And so they tried that for a month or so. And it had a really positive impact on his work. And of course, his family was happier to have him you know, home at a predictable hour two days a week. So those are some ideas about why people do what they do and some of the things that they can try. Right. I like that there's a whole range from these smaller tweaks to bigger steps that people take. And there's all these different contexts and um, reality because, you know, no, no person, every person's situation is unique. So it's hard to advise, um, you know, one example. So I, I love the idea that you look at such a range. Um, I, you know, I, there's so much to talk about, but we're actually uh, coming to the end of our time um, in this conversation. So I just wanted to ask you about your own personal situation, because we, of course, are always a little relaunchers looking at the, the, uh, the, the every, everyone who's involved in your total leadership organization, where you see that your wife is the director of operations there, and she's a relauncher, your wife, Hallie. And I wanted to know, um, because it recounts her uh, work history as a, as a psychologist who then stayed home and, and returned to work, can you talk about that period in your own lives and, and what happened when she returned to work? That's a great question, Carol. You know, as a clinical psychologist, my wife had both a professional or clinical or just a natural interest in child development. Uh, is something that was intellectually stimulating and fascinating for her to observe and, of course, to be a part of our children's you know, lives as they were unfolding cognitively, emotionally. Um, and at the same time, at, you know, or back then when our, when our kids were school age, they're now between 26 and 32, she was uh, acutely aware that some of her friends who were like lawyers, uh, you know, they, they didn't share her sense of intrigue about the minute and subtle changes that our children were, you know, experiencing and demonstrating. She, of course, you know, our friends loved their kids as much as, as she and we did, but, you know, being at home with them wasn't really a source of intellectual stimulation as it was for, for Hallie. So, you know, she loved being at home. It didn't feel like a sacrifice at all to her. It was like a gift. We both all felt lucky about her being able to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and during those years and, and through today, she's, she's kept her license as a psychologist quite active because it's really hard to get licensed. So she's kept that up. But by the time she was ready to, to return to the workforce as a psychologist, the world of healthcare had changed, insurance coverage had changed dramatically. And one of our kids was having very significant difficulties. 
which I've written mm -hmm. about separately. One of our children suffers from a serious psychiatric illness. So, you know, she wanted to work outside the home. She was ready, but she, uh, you know, was no longer needed in the same way. Children were basically out, but then, you know, this, our son's situation for her to, you know, go back to clinical work, which is, you know, very demanding. Uh, it was hard to see how she could be, you know, available and on call for our, our son and, and hold down a responsible job. So this happened, you know, at a time that was coincident with the publication of my first you know, popular book, which became a bestseller, the Total Leadership book. Mm. So she she stepped in to help with the launch of that book. This is 2008. And mm -hmm. then, you know, slowly, incrementally, organically, without a real conscious plan on our part, she emerged as my full-time business partner, mm -hmm. uh, and, which was, you know, fascinating. So even though she was working from home, even though she was working part-time at first, she had a lot of discretion over her time. Uh, our kids still, they, they weren't entirely thrilled with the fact that she was working. Mm -hmm. Um, and, then, and not a hundred percent available to them, but uh, you know, so that was that was something of an adjustment at the time. But it's uh, it's now something that everybody I think is pretty much accustomed to and feels good about. Stu, thank you for talking to us about what happened with that on the personal side with, with that transition when Hallie relaunched. Really interesting. Uh, so to wind up, I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? I think leadership, it starts and ends with you and what you care most about. And in my now, you know, almost four decades of working in this field as an organizational psychologist, uh, one of the most difficult things that people face as a block to becoming better leaders, having richer lives, is having the courage to look inside and and articulate for themselves, first and foremost, what it is that they really care about and the purpose and meaning of their lives. Uh, so it starts with that, your values, the vision of the world you're trying to create as a leader in your life, in all the different parts of it. And if I had one piece of advice for working parents, relaunchers and others uh, to become better leaders and use the ideas and the tools of leadership to, to, to make the world a bit better for the next generation. It would be that to focus first on what you care about. And from that foundation work to better understand and engage the people around you so that you can bring them along with you as leaders do to a better world. Right. Thank you, Stu. Great way to uh, end our conversation today. Um, how can our audience find out more about your work and especially about your new book, Parents Who Lead? Parentswholead.net. That's the place to go. And you'll find all about the book, uh, what people are saying about it, uh, and how you can access uh, other people who are interested in this topic as well. Um, Parentswholead.net. Excellent. Thank you. And thanks for joining us today, Stu. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much, Carol. 
Thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.